Good morning, people of church. Today, I attempt to tease out the interplay of fraternal twins, power and authority. We know what identical twins imply, nearly exact replicas, but fraternal twins have similar but separate qualities and characteristics. So I begin with the story of Nicodemus, Kansas, then to Acts 4, turning to our own context, and then briefly to John 11. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth today and the meditations of my heart in preparation this week be acceptable to you, our rock of relationship and our trusted teacher. Amen. During our recent time in Kansas, we traveled to the tiny prairie town of Nicodemus in north central Kansas, just above I-70. Founded on April 24th, 1877, this date is significant as it was the first black settlement and continues as the oldest surviving one of former slaves. Nicodemus is now a national park site. Why 1877? Between the close of the Civil War up until 1877, U.S. Congress passes three amendments, 13 through 15, establishing former slaves as full citizens with the right to vote. Federal troops are sent to the South to enforce this new policy. And former slaves are now empowered to move ahead becoming productive citizens entrepreneurs, business leaders, professional baseball players. Some are elected to national, state, and local political positions. They gain power and authority to manage their own lives and be involved in the wider community. And their vote can influence public policy. Why 1877? A compromise is reached in Congress between Republican presidential candidate Rutherford B. Hayes and Southern Democrats. The South would accept a Republican president in exchange for agreeing not to use a filibuster during Congress joint session to block the election. But more significantly, Hayes promised to remove federal troops and abolish federal intervention in the South. Individual states now have power and authority for home rule to define policy, including the right to deal with black people without Northern interference. Why 1877? Thousands of former slaves moved North in the next decades as they correctly read the handwriting on the wall. All hell was about to break loose for blacks. Their lives returning to unofficial slavery with the violence of white supremacy, KKK, becoming stronger and Jim Crow laws. Understandably, blacks felt betrayed as they lost power and authority in many areas of life and they moved north and west, including Nicodemus, Kansas. So what about these fraternal twins? Power is the ability to do something, to accomplish, to speak, 
to invent, to build, to get things done. And everyone, everyone has power of one kind or another, some more than others, some more noticeable. Everyone has some degree of power because everyone can do something. Authority, on the other hand, is the right to use one's power to get things done, to give orders, to make decisions, or to enforce obedience. Authority is sometimes given to people by virtue of position, election, or appointment. And yet, my friends, I believe authority is best earned through relationship and trust. In my early days as a school teacher in public school, Ohio, I muttered to a friend of mine that sometimes certain students didn't seem to respect me. And he wisely said to me, well, respect is earned. Mm. In Nicodemus, former slaves regained power and authority in their county as they rebuilt their lives on homestead and property of their own. But even there, whites became alarmed by their growing influence. And when the railroad came through, In the mid-1880s, Nicodemus was purposely bypassed to a town that had not yet been established. Thus, the downfall of this thriving community by the year 1900. But nevertheless, Nicodemus is well worth your visit next time you're traveling through Kansas on I-70. Acts 4, 18 Acts 4 is another setting we observe the use of power and authority. The authorities in power are the Jewish religious leaders, priests, Sadducees, temple police. They are annoyed by Peter and John preaching of the resurrection of Jesus. They feel angered and threatened at being accused of inciting the murder of Jesus. They use their power and authority to arrest Peter and John and lock them up overnight. But amazingly, at the trial, they do not question Peter and John's power to heal this man in chapter 3, to heal this man in the name of Jesus. They are actually amazed, surprised, and somewhat impressed by the boldness of these two Jesus followers who are so-called unlearned, ignorant people. Furthermore, the man healed is right there at the trial. There's a crowd of witnesses outside. There's no denying what happened. Sound familiar? Rather, the religious leaders demand to know by what authority, by what right they claim to heal, because in the temple view, only God heals, only God forgives sins. So they listen to Peter and John's testimony of the healing power of Jesus and warn them not to speak publicly about him. And the well-known word to the powers from Peter and John you must judge whether it is right for us to listen to you rather than to God. This resulted in further warnings and threats before they were released. In this populist charged atmosphere, the authorities let them off easy. One other thing is obvious. Power is not limited to those in certain positions of authority. Here, Peter and John answer to a different authority. The power of public in a public the power of public in, can influence and threaten authorities in high places. Then 
and now. We find a contrasting use of a power and authority in John 11. It's authority cultivated through relationship. Here, the good shepherd's power and authority are not resented, rather welcomed because they are used to promote shalom, well-being of all. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep on his own accord without being forced. The good shepherd knows his own and his own know him. The good shepherd has other sheep that do not belong to this fold and must bring them in also, and they will listen to his voice. The good shepherd has the power to lay down his life or to take it up again. What better picture of power and authority used for good or shalom than the good shepherd. And friends, isn't that our goal? To use our power and authority for the well-being of others? Power is impotent, I think, without authority. We can have the power to do things, but lack the authority to get it done. A simple example was I was driving a car at age 14 on the farm but that didn't give me the authority to drive on the roads much as I wanted to. But other times, power can produce results despite the lack of authority, official authority, as in Acts 4. Conversely, we can have authority but lack the power to move ahead, as Governor Wolf has experienced in Pennsylvania many times with the partisan state assembly. Furthermore, Authority and power can be put into law, shared on paper, like the 13th, 15th Amendments. But paper is not always enough for power and authority to make changes. Without relationships that foster equality and fairness, authority and power can be weak. Finally, we cannot dismiss this discussion of power and authority as relevant only to those in high positions. As we said, we all have power and some degree of authority. And these dynamics get rather personal. We are parents, we are students, marriage partners, aged and young people and in between. We are employed and we are employers. We are men and women working together in jobs, in schools, in our homes, community and congregational settings. And sometimes, we, I, we miss the mark. We misuse our power and authority, either knowingly or unknowingly. Women and minorities of all kinds feel this unlevel power dynamic with employment, sometimes with opportunity, marriage, and church life. And when we miss the mark and become aware of how we cause inequality, we can listen carefully. We can confess and be transformed to change our ways. Richard Rohr column comments this week, with transformation comes another kind of power. There at the threshold of the question, what do we do with our power? We decide. 
Do I wield my power to force control, to shape the narrative and determine what will be and how it will be? Do I allow myself to be honest about humanity's failings and the abuse of power, seeing the ways in which I too become like that which I oppose? Can I acknowledge the monster side of my humanity, lament it, forgive it, and then let it go, realizing that it may circle around again? End of quote. My hope is that we leave today with the resolve to use our power and authority as it was written and sung of Jesus in Philippians 2, where he did not use his power and authority to exploit others, but emptied himself, humbled himself, taking the form of servant. In the poem by Sally Fisher, here in the psalm, she describes relational power and authority for shalom, for the well-being of all. And while it's somewhat utopian in nature, I hope it makes the point. I am a sheep and I like it because the grass I lie down in feels good and the still waters are restful and right there if I'm thirsty. And though some valleys are very chilly, there's a long rod that prods me. So I direct my hooves the right way through today. I'm trying hard to sit at a table because it's expected, required really, and my enemies. Turns out I have enemies are watching me eat and drink. But I don't worry because all my enemies do is watch. And I know I'm safe if I would just do my best as I sit on this chair that wobbles a bit in the grass on the side of a hill. Friends, may we embrace power and authority as necessary aspects of life together, and may we use them for shalom for all, and may each of us paint a picture of them out of trusted relationships. May, be aware, may we be aware and may we listen well to the God of the Bible. Amen. <laughs>